Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 as we continue our series on standing on the promises of God. And we really need the promises because many times we go through very difficult things. I think the truth of the matter is if I could get you to focus on the promise today that we will never be alone, that there will never be a time in your life as a child of God where you will be alone, and that includes if you go through a divorce, that includes if you're a widow or a widower, that includes if your parents abandon you, your children goes away, no matter where you're at, the promise we're going to look at today is that even in the midst of a crowd, you are never alone personally. And it's important to know because the truth of the matter is we don't always sit in a church service on Sunday morning. We all have burdens that can keep us awake at night. We ask the questions, what will tomorrow bring? What will our health be like? Will our health hold up? You hear all the time stories of people that have a massive heart attack without a moment's notice or a sudden stroke, and things happen to us very quickly. Will someone we know test positive for this coronavirus? It still seems to be mutating, and it concerns us in our family. As we get older, will we waste away in a nursing home or we're going to end up in a hospital where our funds will be depleted quickly? What about our children? You know, we pour our whole life into them. What if something happens to our children that we care about so much? And then some of us without family ask the question, who will take care of us in our old age? As I get older, what's going to happen? Alex shared about young people coming up, single people wonder, especially as the clock ticks forward, will I ever find someone to marry? Married people are concerned about the tremendous statistics of divorce rate in this country, and they ask themselves, can my marriage withstand all the things that are happening in our society? Will we live to see our grandchildren? And all of us ask the question, where will I be five years, ten years from now? As life moves forward, where will I be on that trajectory? And in recent headlines don't help us. Just on Friday, panic hit the stock market. Headlines read, panic hits global markets. Another headline, anxiety grips companies across the world. Another more purse close-up home headline, the food chain is breaking. And then this isn't yesterday, but it's one of my favorite recent ones. Shoppers throw punches over toilet paper. I mean, we live in a crazy time. And in these uncertain days that we live in, it's very good that we take weeks to spend time focusing on prayer. When you ask the question, can marriages last and go on, we have a couple in our service today. I just looked back and saw George, uh, that George and Janet Stringer are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary today, this week. So happy anniversary, guys. You're a living testimony that anniversaries can last. And I have to tell you, Janet, you're beautiful. I don't know why you married him, but uh, that's congratulations to you guys very, very much. It's great. Uh, and so we come to the text that we're going to look at today in Hebrews 13, 5. Notice it with me in your Bible or on the screen, if you would. It, the Bible says, he has said, I will never, I have that underline, never leave you, nor will I forsake you. On the back of your worship guide, we're going to follow along this morning and see the truth of this promise that God is with us. So God knew we would doubt this promise, the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. We think he's with us, but when we're all alone on a Saturday night or we're going through a very difficult time, we wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? 
And so what God does with this verse to reinforce the fact that he's with us, he repeats it throughout Scripture multiple times. Hebrews 13.5 is not the only place that you will find the words, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. There are multiple times that God uses it. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in the 1800s, preached an outline from this verse where he used characters in the Old Testament that God was always with. I'm going to follow his example this morning by giving you three or four examples of where God says, I will never leave you and I am with you. The first one I want us to focus on, if you're writing it down, is a guy by the name of Jacob. We know Jacob as the cheater. He is the one that cheated his brother. He is the one that deceived his father. His very name means trickster. And here he is. And there are the words the Lord spoke to Jacob when he was running away from his problems. Have you ever just wanted to run away from your problems, not face them, not deal with them, put them on a back burner? Well, notice in Genesis 28, 15, the predicament that Jacob finds himself in. the, The Lord is speaking and he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, let me give you a backdrop to this story. Jacob has been on the road for about two days when he gets this message from God. He's running because he stole an inheritance from his brother. I'll tell you, it's amazing how dysfunctional families continually dysfunction. He decided, I'm going to steal the blessing that rightfully belongs to my brother. I'm going to take it from him. And then he deceived his father into thinking he was his brother. And that double deceit destroyed his family. And it enraged his brother Esau so much, he literally wanted to physically kill him. And his family's fractured, so he runs for his life. He's getting out of Dodge. And that night, the Bible tells us he went to sleep. With a pillow for a stone, he began to sleep in that wilderness starry sky. And he dreams of angels going up and down from heaven on a ladder from earth to heaven. Now, you need to know that until this moment, as far as Scripture records for us, Jacob has never heard from God personally. He certainly, his grandfather, Abraham, had heard God speak to him, and certainly his father, Isaac, had. He had heard him, but to Jacob, no, God has not spoken. And I'm sure that the last thing that Jacob expected to hear that night in the wilderness, under that starry sky, was the voice of the Lord. I mean, why would God want to speak to him? He's a thief. He's a crook. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. After all that he had done to his family... But God meets him, listen to this, at his point of desperation. And that's where God wants to meet you. When you think that you least deserve to hear from God or he will not be able to communicate with you because what you've done, that's when God shows up. Here's Jacob running from the promised land. He's running from his brother. He's running for his life. He's disgraced and he's guilty. And now God speaks to him in his pain. It was C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, that said that God uses pain as a megaphone to get our attention. The way he said it, and I quote, he said, The Lord whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. Now at last, Jacob is ready to listen to the Lord because he has nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And when the painful truth catches up with Jacob, he realizes he has nowhere to go. And he asks the question to himself, why in the world did I do this? Maybe he reasoned, you know, God, if you'd have been with me then and you'd have given me my fair share, I wouldn't have had to cheat my brother. I wouldn't have had to deceive my father. 
You know, everybody's got to watch out for themselves. Get all you can as quickly as you can. But here's God's message to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I'm nearer to you than you think. I was with you when you were tricking your brother Esau. I was with you when you were deceiving your father. See, here's the thing that you have to remember. If you're a child of God, there's nowhere you can go that God ain't. In fact, he gets there ahead of us usually. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, If I ascend into heaven, behold, you are there. If I make my, my bed in the depths, behold, you are there as well. But at this point, Jacob is feeling really guilty about his past, fearful of his future, and uncertain in the present. And to all of that, God simply says to him, Jacob, I will be with you. And that's a total solution to guilt and fear and anxiety. If you're going through something for whatever reason as a child of God, maybe of your own devices, God wants you to know if you're his child, he is with you. Now, he may not leave you in that mire, that quagmire of misery, but he is with you because you're his child. There's another example, not only with an individual, but of an entire nation. The second thing I want you to write down is how we see God is with Israel, the nation, and they were terrified. The scene shifts to the Jews as they gather on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Moses, you know this story, is now an old man, and, he, and he's ready to die. Knowing that his enemies and his people would face the, all of the difficulties as they get ready to go into the land of Canaan, he gives a, an amazing promise in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. Notice on the screen with me. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. And here it is. He will not leave you or abandon you. And when Moses says, don't be terrified or afraid of them, he's talking about all the pagan nations that were around them. You know, we worry about China. We are concerned about Russia. We're concerned about what might happen in Iran or even North Korea. Those are distant places to us right now, but here is God's people, are God's people wanting to go in the promised land, and they're surrounded immediately by enemies. They have the Hivites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, and probably some termites. I mean, they're just all around them trying to take them out at any moment in time. And that's a daunting list of bad guys that, that they were surrounded with. And the Israelites faced a problem. It was a mathematical problem. They were outnumbered, totally surrounded by enemy, even as Israel perhaps is still today. And they were doomed to defeat. But the question is always when you go to battle, who is on your side? You may have enemies around you, but if you're on the Lord's side, if the Lord is on your side, if God is with you, you cannot lose. It's as simple as that. And they were going to learn that. But when you fight with God on your side and you move forward, there will be a testimony that goes with it. And that's the message for the people of God. That's the message for you. In a society that all of a sudden is calling falsehood truth and truth is stigmatized, you always know if you go by the word of God, by that Bible, the things that are right, I don't care how much the law changes, the world changes. If something was right 50 years ago, brothers and sisters, it's still right today. If something was a sin 50 years ago, I don't care how much it's voted in, politicized, accepted, it is still a sin today. God doesn't change on those things. And the people of Israel needed to know and they wanted to hear that God was going to be with them. 
Then the third example we have is a fellow by the name of Joshua. And Joshua fought the battle around Jericho. But he was a fearful person. He had great concern for the task before him. We look at the clock, and after Moses, we move forward a few weeks when Moses gives that statement for the Jews, and he's now dead. And now it's Joshua's turn to lead the people of Israel. And they still have to cross the Jordan River and begin a long series of battles just because God is with you. This is maybe one of the most important things I'll say today. Just because God is with you does not mean that you won't have to go through battles in life. But he promises not to leave you, not to forsake you, to always be with you. And they were going to have some battles that would take seven years to complete. And the question has become very personal to Joshua. The question is, is Joshua up to the challenge? And here's God's promise to him. Notice in Joshua 1 and verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. And then here's the phrase and the phrase, I will not leave you or abandon you. And and as you think about that stupendous promise, don't overlook one little phrase, as I was with Moses. Now, Joshua knew all about Moses. When God said, as I was with Moses, the reason Joshua knew all about Moses is because Joshua was Moses' right-hand man for many years. Do you remember when Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let, God said, let my people go. And, and Joshua was there witnessing all of that. And when Pharaoh said no, Moses said it again. And you know what happened? God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would show no mercy at all. And then God, in response, began to send plagues because God's will will always be done. And they really began to come down. There were the boils and the frogs and the darkness and the rivers of blood that would come, and Pharaoh still would not relent. And finally, one night, the death angel was sent from God, and every firstborn child, male child, in Egypt died unless the blood had been spread on the lintel of the doorpost. And only those with that blood were spared. And it was only then that Pharaoh grudgingly relented and repented and let them go. And they go forward, and the children of Israel, you remember, were trapped at the Red Sea, and and Moses stretched out his staff, and, and the waters parted, so they walked across on dry ground. Later, Moses would have the privilege of walking on top of a mountain and talking to God face to face, the Bible says. For 40 years, Moses experienced these things and came down with the Ten Commandments. And miracle after miracle occurred when Moses was alive. For 40 years, their shoes and clothing did not wear out. For 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, there was plenty for them to eat. They never ran out of food. For 40 years, they never lost a battle. I mean, Moses, what a man he was. Personally, I don't, feel, I don't blame Joshua for feeling inadequate. You know, how do you follow a Moses? How do you replace a legend? But the question is, will God be with Joshua just as he was with Moses? Will God be with you just as he was with your godly parents? Will God be with you just as he was with the people that you admire that have great testimonies for the Lord? The answer is yes. And why is it that God's going to be with you? Please listen to this. Because he said, I will never leave you. It's personalized. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It's a wonderful promise. And that's the deeper meaning of the promise of God made to Joshua. Remember, it's not a promise of an easy road. 
It's not a promise of unlimited victory and no tears. After all, Joshua, if you read it, is a book of battles. God says, Joshua, you're going to have to fight for the land. We're going to take it with tears and blood and sweat and tears. Same thing that Winston Churchill said when he was first put in as prime minister of England in 1941 after Neville Chamberlain had compromised and they thought there was no hope where it appeared that Germany was going to win every battle and take Europe and soon London would fall. And in his first speech that he made, Churchill said, I have nothing to offer but blood and sweat and tears and work. And with the help of God and the hand of the Lord, that moved forward. And that's what Joshua was saying right here. I want to go forward with the Lord. And then just one more example where this verse is repeated. The same verse in Hebrews 13, 5, used throughout all of Scripture. And that's with a young man by the name of Solomon. And you don't think of Solomon this way because he was the wisest man that ever lived. But this is Solomon, the timid guy. This is Solomon, the one that's struggling. As King David grew older, you remember he wanted to build a temple. David was the king over Israel at the zenith of Israel's history. It was so incredible the things that he had accomplished and the things that had happened. But the capstone that his career that he wanted to do was to build a temple for the Lord. But the Lord told him he couldn't do it because he, he was a man of blood. He was a man of war. And the Bible says that that temple must be built by a man of peace and David accepted God's decree, and he called on his son Solomon to build the Lord's temple. In 1 Chronicles 28, 20, I want you to see David's encouragement to his son. It says, be strong and courageous. That would be good for us. And do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He won't leave you or abandon you until all the work for the service of the Lord's house is finished. Now, that's a heavy load for a young man to be able to take on. Solomon was the wisest man on earth, but he followed after a man after God's own heart. And, and, and Joshua followed Moses, and that was hard enough, but Moses wasn't his father. This is Solomon's dad. This is Solomon's father, and it would be undoubtedly a difficult thing to do. And how would you like to follow a guy like that? We get a glimpse of everything that's happening with the pressure that David had in First Chronicles 29.1. It says this, my son Solomon, God has chosen him alone, is young and inexperienced. And the word inexperienced could be tender or merciful, maybe too tender, maybe too delicate or timid. And honestly, I think David was questioning whether his son was up to the task. Well, I'd be timid too. I'd be fearful too. I'd be worried too. I, I mean, to follow David. But this is God's word to you if you're concerned about your ability and capability of doing what God wants you to do. It's God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And God will finish the work that he's called you to do. Each of us have a path. We have a work to do. Your influence in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood in your giving of your dollars to the work of the Lord that impacts souls around the world as we are part of 50,000 other churches with 11,000 missionaries serving vocationally full-time on seven continents. That's a work that we can all be involved in. And everything God has is contained in the words, I will never leave you. And whatever you're going to need in the future, you need to know that God will supply it for you. Sometimes it will show up in ways that you can't imagine. Sometimes he will allow you to work it through step by step. But always know this, God always finishes what he starts. 
Now, how do we know that's true? Well, there are many answers in the Bible to that question, how we know that. We might simply remind ourselves of what God has done in the past. I've told you many times that I have a drawer in my office at home where I keep answers to prayer from God. For things that I thought could not happen and would not happen did happen, and I keep those written down because when I get discouraged, it's beneficial for me. My spirit grows when I go back and look at what God's done in the past. May I ask you a personal question? Has God done some great things for you in your past? Could you just reflect on those things? That's one of the ways you can know that whatever the mountain is you're facing for tomorrow, that God will be with you because you know what he's done in the past. And always remember, what he starts, he finishes. He's not brought us this far to leave us. And God's honor, I believe, depends on him finishing the work that he started. That's what Paul was talking about in Timothy. He said, for I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he will complete it, the work that he started in us. So let, remind you, let me remind you just one more time of the teaching of Hebrews 13.5. You're never alone, you're never abandoned, and you're never on your own. You say, Frank, what can I take away from this? Well, if like Jacob you're guilty, you can take heart. Even with a guilty heart, God is there to minister to you in that. If like the nation Israel, you're terrified, take heart. God will never leave you as you face the battles of health, relationship, emotional, whatever it may be. If like Joshua, you feel unqualified, you take heart because God will never leave you. He will qualify you and enable you as you move forward. If like Solomon, you're timid, I want you to take heart because God will never leave you and he will give you the strength that you need. Think think about it this way. God is not only with you, but it'll help you rest at night knowing that if you know he's ahead of you, he's already been to your next week. He's already there. It's a mind-blowing truth. If you're worried about next week, forget it. God's already there. You say, what's my next week? Well, maybe next week for you is a doctor's appointment. I want you to sleep well tonight because he's already there. What about that tough decision you have to make? Fear not. God is already there. He knows the end from the very beginning. And it would be enough if God walked with us. He walks with me and talks with me through life's events. But he does much more than that. He goes ahead of you and he clears the way. He puts people in your path. He puts situations there for your good and for his glory. And you can have confidence today that God is always ahead of your situation. In fact, I'd like you to write that down on the back of your outline. There's this phrase, God is at work in the future while we live in the present. God is already working in the future while we're just getting through today. He was with us yesterday, he's with us today, and he'll be with us tomorrow. That's what it means to say, I will never leave you. Incidentally, I passed over one little part of Jacob's story that I saved for this point right here, and that's verse 16. We read verse 15, but in verse 16, I want you to see on the screen, it says, Jacob wakes up from his dream, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You know, many times we think the Lord has forgotten us, but we're the ones that have forgotten him. The Lord was with Jacob, and he did not even know it. Where is God when we need him? He's where he's always been, but we didn't know it. You can run from God to the other side of the world like Jonah did, but when you get off the plane, trust me, God's going to be in the baggage claim area to show up right where you're at. There's no place you can run that far from God, but that he won't be there. 
and you can't run from God forever. And I'll tell you something else that I wish were not true, but it is. Relatively few people, percentage-wise, find God on Sunday morning in church. Most people find God in a real way in the middle of the night going through a panic attack. Real people find God, you're likely to meet him more on your bed of affliction or when you lose your job or when your children are sick or when your marriage collapses or when your friends betray you. You're more likely to meet him after the accident than during the coffee hour out here in the lobby on Sunday morning. And often we don't pay attention to the Lord until tragedy strikes. It's human nature. And when it happens, then we want to hear from the Lord. And at last we look up to heaven and say, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not even know it. I was not even aware of it. Which brings us back to the great promise, you're never alone. You're never alone. Uh, Paul emphasizes this in the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. You ought to write that reference down. You don't have time to turn there. I'll be gone. But notice on the screen with me. Paul is speaking, and, 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 and he's reading, uh, sharing this with us. It's so encouraging. I'm reading from the paraphrase of the Living Bible. Paul says, may you be able. God says, I want you to be able to feel and really understand how long, how wide, how deep, and how high God's love really is. And may you experience this love for yourself, even though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. Now, notice that that verse says that God's love is four-dimensional. It's long, it's wide, it's high, and it's deep. And, you know, many times it's hard for us to grasp because human love wears out. That's why we have something called divorce. I don't love you anymore. God's love never wears out. He will never, ever love you any more or any less than he loves you right now. Incidentally, God loves you as much before you get saved as he does then after you get saved. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the secular world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you can't make God stop loving you because God is love. It's not an attribute. It's not a characteristic. But the Bible says he is love. So it's long enough to last forever and ever. And then it says it's wide. I want you to know how wide God's love is for you. It's wide enough to be everywhere. It's absolutely that wide. And that should relieve your fears because, again, there's no place that you can go in the future that God is not already there and his love is not there. You may feel lonely at times. I understand that. I, I didn't do it because when I get listen to that country western station, I, I want to get a beer. And I, I know that's not good for me. But uh, if, you, if you listen to most country western songs, are you lonely tonight? <laughs> you know, and, and you go through these spirits and these attitudes of loneliness all the time, and the world will build on that. And you may go through a time where it seems like no one's there. The Bible says, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Look up. See that the Lord is there. I'm getting a singing contract. So his love is wide enough to be everywhere. And then notice what it says. It says his love is deep. How, how is God's love for you deep? How, how deep really is it? Here's how deep God's love is. It's deep enough to handle anything you can throw at him. 
all your troubles, all your hurts, all your sins, all your pains. I don't care what problem you're in. You say, Frank, I'm hurting really bad. I'm in the pits. God is there. You say, but I'm in the pit of hell. I want you to know Psalm 137.8 says God is there. Betsy Ten Boom, some of you that are older will remember a book called The Hiding Place. It was written by a lady named Corey Ten Boom. But she had an older sister by the name of Betsy. And Betsy loved the Lord, and her family would hide Jewish families from the Nazis back in the early days of World War II. And her family was caught, and she was sent to a prison camp called Ravensbrück. And in Ravensbrück, it was so very, very bad that she was despairing for her life. And she wrote in her journal before she died in that prison camp these words. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So how high is God's love for you? It's high enough to overlook your faults. It's high enough to overlook your mistakes. God's love is high enough to overlook your sins. He doesn't ignore them. We must repent of them and turn from them. But he understands your frame. His love is high enough to overlook your bloopers and your stupid decisions and my stupid decisions. And he's high enough to overlook every bit of that. Regardless of what you have done, God offers forgiveness to you today. And why is that? Because he's a God whose love is high and wide and mighty and deep. Let let me show you one more verse, and I'll, I'll close, from the Bible that ought to take your fear factor down just a little bit. It ought to lower your fear about your future. It's Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says this, Nothing will ever separate us from God's love. And if you look up that word, nothing, it means nothing. It means zero. It means nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that will be able to separate that from you. Notice as I read it in from the New Living Translation, it says death can't and life can't. The angels can't separate you. Demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that ought to take the fear factor way down because nothing can separate you from the love of God. I may lose everything that I have. I may even lose my mind. You may not remember how much God loves you, but God will always remember how much he loves you. That will never be taken away. There's nothing that can happen in my future that will make God love me any less than he does right now because his love is based on what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. That love, when Jesus said, I love you this much, and in agonizing pain put his arms out and died on the cross for my sins and yours, that's the love of God. Here's the question you have to walk out of here with today. Have you accepted the love of God? Love to be offered and not accepted is not love that you will benefit from. Have you accepted God's, I think it's outrageous, unconditional love that he would love us? Some of you go home at night wondering if you love God enough. Yesterday, I I looked on my wife's Facebook. I don't have Facebook. But she was sitting there, and she said, I got this text. I said, let me see it. And it was from no one in this church, so relax. But the individual said, I did something really bad today. I don't think I'll go to church tomorrow because I'm not worthy to be in church. Oh, my soul. That's when you should come to church the most. 
That's when you should come to Jesus the quickest and the fastest. This is not based on worthiness. This is based on a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've accepted him into your life, there's nothing you can do that's going to cause him to go, oh, he will know. He's already ahead of the situation. And he will give you strength to grow and mature where you'll stop having those dumb moments in your life. Not, we'll never until we get to heaven be all we ought to be, but we can be more than we deserve to be because of Jesus Christ. But if you haven't accepted this unconditional love that I just explained, then his love is worthless to you. It has no value unless you accept it. And he may as well not even love you because it makes no difference in your life. But the truth is, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to know that God wants you to know he does not want to leave you. He will not forsake you. He wants you to feel his love. He wants you to understand his love. He wants you to live in his love. He wants you to depend on his love. And when you do that, your fear factor is going to go way, way down. And it all begins by humbling our hearts and saying, Dear God, I accept your plan of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in my life for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, let me start there. Then let me grow. Let me become more like Jesus Christ as the years go by. But today, I want to know for sure that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God. Not things present. Not things to come, not height, not depth, not any living creature can ever separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you have never prayed the prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and make me the person you want me to be, I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to give you something I think that will help you remember this message better than the moments I've taken to share it with you. When I was in the seventh grade, I had a science teacher by the name of Mr. Muncy, Ken Muncy. And he looked at the class one day and he said, I'm going to tell you something that you'll never forget the rest of your life. And I looked at him and he said, always remember this. All strings are five inches long. He said, as hard as you try, you'll never be able to forget that. That was 15 years ago and I can still remember it today. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. That I hope you'll never forget. I want you to hold up your right hand. And I want you to say these five words with me. They're going to be on the screen. Are you ready? I will never leave you. Now do this. Leave your hand up. I want you to touch each of them. Because sometimes people say, I, can't, I don't feel the Lord. He's not touching me. Just touch your thumb. I, then the index finger, will, middle finger, Lee, uh, uh, whatever it says up there, I will never leave you. Do it. Touch all fingers. Let's say it out loud. Ready? Go. I will never leave you. Do it again. I will never leave you. 